started, we've got um, some people coming in. Um, we have um, about until about one o'clock or so. I do have to just say this. Um, so my name's Nicole. I'm one of the associate project directors for this grant that's putting it on advancing competency for geriatric care in rural northern New England, ACGC for sure. So if you guys um, ever see any programs that are being sponsored by ACGC, that's us. Um, I do need to say that our conflict of interest statement. So neither our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified <laughs> a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding the activity. No one refused to disclose any product, service, or company being discussed displayed in conjunction with this activity does not imply that there is real or implied endorsement by the ANCC or Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Um, next month's talk was supposed to be on traumatic brain injury. Um, she's unable to do that talk, so I don't know what we're going to have in its place at this time, but it will still be here on the third Thursday of next month. And for those of you who are at the remote site, if you can just uh, make sure your site is muted and um, if you want to speak, um, just unmute it at the time of your question. We'll go ahead and get started. So we have Laura Reed here and Kendall. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, um, so my name is Laura Reed. I'm a nurse practitioner <laughs> that is um, part of the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Clinic that's at Kindle. Um, Kindle is a um, continuing retirement community um, in Hanover, um, and um, the population there is a little over 400 um, folks, and it has some um, independent apartments um, and assisted living and nursing home. Um, it's, a, it's a nice little niche. Oh, good. You can see me now, maybe. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to give a talk on um, one of the, the five uh, AGS Choosing Wisely um, campaign topics, and um, I believe that I'm the last one um, doing the um, Choosing Wisely topic, and so today I'm going to be talking about um, benzodiazepines um, and hypnotics like, um, like Ambien and Lunesta, um, and why we should be thinking twice um, before prescribing these type of agents for our older adult population. Um, this is a... Um, uh, an informal sort of presentation. So if folks do have um, any questions or, or comments that they want to talk about um, um, in the midst of the presentation is, is totally fine with me. Okay, so the, the fourth of the Choosing Wisely um, campaign topic um, and what healthcare providers and patients should question um, is to not use benzodiazepines um, or other sedative hypnotics in older adults as a first choice uh, for um, insomnia, uh, agitation, and delirium. Um, for, um, for this talk, I will, I'll mainly be talking about sleep um, and management of sleep, uh, and we'll, we'll focus more on non-pharmacological techniques of uh, managing sleep. When uh, there was another talk on um, management of uh, delirium and um, agitation and dementia um, related to antipsychotics, um, that also talked more about non-pharmacological techniques and in managing those behaviors. So, in terms of objectives um, following this talk, um, I'd like for folks to understand um, the difference in, of sleep issues in our older adult population um, and some possible causes. Um, understanding the risk of the use of these benzodiazepines um, and hypnotics um, for insomnia in our older adult population. Identify some risks why sedative medicines can be detrimental um, in the management of agitation and delirium. Um, and uh, describe some non-pharmacological um, uh, methods to help in the treatment of, um, of sleep issues um, and in managing agitation and delirium. Um, so, some normal changes or patterns of sleep in our older adults. Um, we know that the, the cycle of sleep is, is about 90 minutes. Um, and we should cycle um, about four or five times through these different stages of sleep um, uh, during a night. So we know that um, older adults uh, do have less of the deeper sleep. Uh, and have less um, time um, in the, the REM cycle of sleep. Um, on average, for older adults, um, is about six and a half to, to seven hours of sleep. And the time in bed increases 
um, after age 65. Um, onset to sleep lengthens, so it takes a little bit longer um, for, for folks to get to sleep. Um, and it's, it's a little bit more so in women than it is for, um, for our male population. Um, it's also common to have more frequent awakenings um, after, age six, um, after age 50, actually. Um, and, and napping is, um, is more common. I'm going to do, um, I'm actually going to show just a, a quick video clip. Um, it's about four, four minutes long or so. So, I want to welcome everyone today, and I hope that you feel free enough to share your experiences with sleep. I'm going to start by asking you, does anyone here have trouble sleeping at night, ever? Okay. Esther? I found that as I got older, I do not sleep as well as I used to when I was young. There are many different changes that happen to sleep as we get older. One of the things that happens is that the depth of sleep is reduced in older people as compared to young people. Most of the time, I can sleep partly through the night. Any sort of noise or sound in the environment is going to be more likely to wake up an older person because they're not in as deep sleep as a younger person might be. A regular routine with me is if I go to bed, between 10 and 11, mm -hmm. I'll wake up and I look at the clock and it's usually 12 midnight, mm -hmm. which means one hour, two hours. So you wake after two hours after you go to sleep. Yeah. And that, that's the way my nights have been going. Mm -hmm. As we in our 60s, 70s, and 80s, our ability to sleep all in one block declines. We have more awakenings during the night and uh, more naps during the daytime. I do appreciate the nap if I find that um, that most of the day I'm busy doing something and I go up and I just, you know, nap a little and I I feel I feel good after. Then you're ready to go. Yeah. Bernie? I never take a nap. Another thing that changes as we get older is that our internal clock generally moves to an earlier hour. Five, six o'clock, always I open my eyes. You open your eyes. Esther, do you find that you wake up earlier than you would like to? If you had a choice. Oh yeah, I would like to get up. I wake up at seven instead of five. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not getting out of bed when I wake up. Maybe it's too early. <laughs> One of the things that we learned is that the window of opportunity that we can maintain consolidated sleep is much narrower as we get older. So a young person can stay up all night, come home at six o'clock in the morning, and then sleep till the early afternoon. Whereas an older person, if they stay up till two or three o'clock in the morning they'll probably still wake up at their usual wake time of six, even though they've only slept two or three hours. Does anyone ever feel sleepy during the day? Yes. Yes. Like accidentally, and you don't mean to have a nap. It happens. Right. I find my, I'm closing my eyes. One of the things that we can all agree on as sleep researchers is that if an older person is falling asleep accidentally during the day, then they should get medical attention for that because they probably do have more than just the typical age-related changes in their sleep going on. What are some of the things that help you to get better sleep? I really have severe arthritis. Mm -hmm. And if I <coughs> exercise and if I stretch my muscles, mm -hmm. it really helps. Very slow level of shoulder turnover and slow, slow fall down. Activities that may help improve sleep are any sort of activity that involves learning relaxation techniques. So things like yoga or qigong, those kinds of things teach you how to relax. Very slow, please, movement, very slow. If you know how to make yourself relax, you are more likely to be able to fall asleep when you want to. And if you wake up during the night, by using those techniques, you may be more likely to be able to get back to sleep. Our next exercise, left up, right down, right up, left down, very slow. As we get older, we need to increase the regularity with which we go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time. We need to pay attention to the sleep environment and have a cool, dark, and quiet place to sleep. We need to turn off all of the disturbances in the environment that keep us awake. I don't think that sleep disturbance 
is an inevitable outcome of aging, but we do have to pay more and more attention to sleep. Okay. So I think I think that's a good little brief preview and the synopsis of, of common issues um, in, in sleep disturbance. Let's see if I can get to uh, to the slideshow. Oh, there we go. And then from current slide. Oh, you're good. Thank you. Okay. So, so he touched a little bit on environmental factors that we would want to um, uh, talk about with our, our patients um, in regards to sleep. So making sure that the temperature is, is good. Um, typically, a cooler room is, is better than, than too hot. Um, dimming the lights, minimizing the sounds, um, ensuring you're comfortable. Um, and then in terms of lifestyle, uh, asking folks about their fluid intake. Um, are they um, drinking caffeine um, or are they drinking alcohol? Um, and, um, and so what we, what we know about, um, uh, which actually I think I'll talk about a, a little bit later about the caffeine more specifically, but with, with alcohol, um, uh, that it actually can cause middle of the night awakenings. And so it's common for folks to think they'll take their nightcap so they can get to sleep. Um, but then actually, so then they may be getting to sleep, um, but then waking up in the middle of the night um, as the body's metabolizing the, the alcohol. Um, if someone's napping frequently too, um, so if you're napping a lot during the day, it may cause some problems at night. Um, and then timing of exercise too. So exercise definitely I think can help folks um, to sleep better, um, but it may be very individual about when you do your exercise, potentially if doing it a bit too late um, can cause a bit more of endorphins to be on board and can cause some problems sleeping. Uh, medications, definitely. I mean, we, we all know this as, as nurses that there, um, there are different medicines that can be a bit more stimulating um, or the diuretics, people complaining, I don't wanna take that pill because it's having, making me go to the bathroom. Um, so being kind of cognizant about the timing of these medicines. And then there's, there's a lot of medical um, chronic disease um, that can contribute to problems with sleeping. Um, so heart failure, um, uh, heart disease, diabetes, definitely sleep apnea, lots of undiagnosed sleep apnea out there. Um, the urinary issues um, for men and women, um, pain, Definitely pain that you know, is um, causing people some difficulty getting to sleep, staying asleep. Um, dementia also, um, and causing you know, the, the sundowning that occurs um, with dementia. Um, restless leg, um, and then GERD. Um, folks that are lying down sometimes have you know, more, more problems with acid reflux. So um, insomnia common, about 50% of older adults um, report having some problems sleeping. Um, and agitation too is, is a, um, a common occurrence in older adults with a cognitive impairment um, or delirium. Um, commonly, um, people may jump to use these medicines to, to help um, some of the benzodiazepines like lorazepam um, or, or Ambien to help with um, um, getting people to sleep or more settled. Um, but there's been a lot of studies out there that really have, have demonstrated the, the risk of, of you know, jumping to use these medicines um, to treat this. Um, hence um, why it's made the top five of the Choosing Wisely um, campaign. So, um, so I'm gonna talk about um, a couple studies. Um, so what, what the, the risk with the, the benzo use, um, so there, it has been found that there's an increased um, risk of motor vehicle accidents um, because of um, causing a bit more sedation um, and de um, delayed reaction time um, following the next day because that medicine can ha hang out in the system. Um, increasing falls um, and, um, and then which leading to hip fractures, which um, for some people that commonly then creates that whole cascade of, of, of um, the um, steady downhill um, problems. So then that leads to increased hospitalizations, change in mobility, which then changes folks' uh, level of independence, um, quality of life, and then there's of course um, risk of, of death. 
Um, so, so you know, it's recommended that ideally we should be re, um, reserving the use of the benzo benzodiazepines for um, alcohol withdrawal um, and anxiety that's not um, uh, responsive to other therapies um, like SSRIs. Um, so here's here's one study um, that um, Finkel and colleagues had done. It was a retrospective cohort study um, that was published in the Journal of Amer American Geriatric Society in October of 11. Um, the risk of fractures required hospitalization after these, uh, this initial prescription of zolpidem or Ambien, um, alprazolam, lorazepam, or diazepines, this group of benzodiazepines. Um, so they identified these prescriptions um, from pharmacy databases, and what they were uh, measuring was the, the rates of non-vertebral fractures um, and hip fractures that required hospitalization. So they gathered data um, from you know, the, the pretreatment group was um, one to three years prior to um, the prescription for one of these medicines, and then the post-treatment was then 90 days following that prescription for, for one of these medicines. Um, this was actually examined in all ages, um, so it wasn't strictly um, just folks that were over um, 65, but they did find that the people who were um, over the age 65 did have an increased risk of um, fractures, non-vertebral fractures, after the initial prescription um, for, um, for zolpidem, uh, lorazepam, and diazepine. Um, they, they actually didn't mention the alprazolam um, as one of, of those that showed a significant difference, um, but um, it still you know, caused, you know, should cause us some hesitation in prescribing this, this class. Um, so what they did find is that this risk um, did decrease with time. So, so basically, so the highest risk was in the first couple weeks. But then the longer that somebody was on these medicines, um, that that risk did, did decrease some. They didn't see these um, uh, fractures and, uh, as, as much later on. So basically, um, what, what that tells us is we should be, we are prescribing these medicines, because inevitably sometimes we do. Um, we should be educating our, our patients about this risk of falling, about this risk of having a fracture, and so that they need to be the most careful in that initial period of starting this medicine. Um, because when you're taking it, you're taking it for sleep, you're taking it at night. Um, more falls occur at night. I mean, you're already, you know, whenever you're waking up having to go to the bathroom, um, a little bit tipsy, and so then if you add this, um, that's gonna make it um, even more so. Um, they did find that two-thirds of the, um, the fracture occurrences were in women, um, which is not too surprising um, given um, women um, have more osteoporosis due to decreased estrogen. Um, and then the, um, the next study that, um, that I had looked at was um, more of a comprehensive uh, review of nine different studies um, on the risk of falls with these psychotropic um, medications. Um, so there's a, there's a whole lot of medicines within both of these classes, um, and they each vary on their elimination um, half-life. Um, and we know that older um, adults do um, metabolize and um, eliminate these medicines. Uh, uh, it's more prolonged, so it takes longer, hangs out in the body longer um, because of um, the creatinine clearance of the kidneys. Um, and then also um, the other agents that, um, that people use, um, other prescription agents, but then some over-the-counter. Um, so like what are some of the over-the-counter ones that you hear that you cringe whenever you hear people taking? The Benadryl, exactly, or the Tylenol PM. I mean, and, and I think a lot of times um, these folks don't know that then it's Benadryl that's in it, um, or they don't really necessarily know that the Benadryl could be detrimental. Um, they think it's Tylenol and it's safe. The doctor said I can take Tylenol, um, but, but Benadryl really has been shown to you know, cause um, uh, increased you know, risk of delirium, um, you know, the falling, um, you know, feeling you know, hungover the next morning, constipation, the whole, the whole thing of, of some things that, that you don't really want to be experiencing. So, um, so some of the key things that came out of um, this review 
um, is that the incidence of falls increases literally if taking five or more medications. Um, so so the, the, the issue of polypharmacy in our, in our older adults. Uh, when adding a sedative hypnotic, um, this increases the risk of the postural um, instability. Um, it falls in hip fractures, which is not too surprising. Um, we were saying most falls happen at night. Um, and alcohol and other psychotropic medicines increase this. So it's you know, really kind of all no-brainers. Um, chronic disease is also linked with increased falls, so cardiovascular disease, um, heart failure, COPD, um, depression, um, and, um, and arthritis. Um, also, if someone's had a fall before, that kind of predisposes them at a higher risk to have another fall. Um, so it's important for us to make sure that we're considering people's age, um, their um, renal impairment um, when prescribing these, if we end up doing that, um, their cognitive status. So if someone has some mild cognitive impairment um, or if you know, we've not um, maybe even identified that, because sometimes people can be pretty good at, at covering, covering this up, um, uh, they do have increased risk of having uh, more adverse effects. Um, uh, considering what things that they've tried in the past uh, before we prescribe one of these agents. Um, and ideally, if we're going to do it, doing it for a short period of time um, and on an as-needed as needed basis. Um, and so um, the um, American Geriatric Society had updated the, um, the beers criteria, um, the, the list of, of medicines to um, try to avoid in older adults. Um, and benzos are on that list um, because of the increased sensitivity and slower metabolism um, and increasing um, uh, cognitive impairments, um, delirium, falls, fractures, motor vehicle accidents, which we have already talked about. Um, and this is, you know, does show a high quality of evidence and strong recommendation for us to really try to avoid this um, if we can. Um, uh, but again, sometimes Sometimes we do, we do end up needing to try it and just need to really be monitoring it very closely. Same thing for the, um, the non-benzodiazepine hypnotics, um, similar to the benzodiazepines that um, overall um, found minimal improvement in sleep latency um, and duration. And, um, so, and this was a moderate quality of evidence and um, strong recommendation. Um, I, I think, too, part of it is reason about the moderate quality of evidence. I think this may increase more because these medicines have not been around quite as long as the benzodiazepine medicines. Um, right, and Ambien and the, the Lunesta. And, um, the, um, the other thing, you know, when they had first come out with the, the hypnotic medicines, part of what they were um, selling was that, um, that it had less um, detrimental effects in, uh, in using for sleep compared to the benzodiazepines. Um, but studies have shown that that's not, that's not really the case. So, so folks are going to say then, so I can't sleep. This, I mean, it comes in you know, really frequently. Can't sleep. What are you going to do? How are you going to help me? Um, so, of course, one of the first thing is figuring out just really, um, getting into the assessment of, so what is the problem? Are you having a problem getting to sleep? Are you waking up in the middle of the night? Um, what time are you going to bed? Um, uh, so what's causing you to wake up is pain, urinary issues. Um, and then also really looking at somebody's medication list and what they're taking, um, because maybe some of the medicines that they're taking could be contributing to um, some of the problems. Um, so you could maybe change the timing of the medicine a little bit um, or change the dosing. Um, and then, too, just determining are all the medicines necessary. Um, exercise. Um, exercise has been shown to improve um, sleep. Um, and then some um, other non-pharmacological um, techniques. And so um, this is Martha and Fred. And so Martha's telling Fred, no wonder you are having insomnia. You're lying there awake all night, so yelling at him. So, um, so I wanted to get into um, a little bit of information about some non-pharmacological techniques um, for sleep. And um, before I move on to that, does anybody have any comments or, or questions thus far? 
If you do, you'd have to unmute your um, microphone. All right. So, um, so here I'm going to get into a little bit more detail about each one of these techniques. Um, so first is um, the, the stimulus control. Um, so these are recommendations, um, and there's a couple of these that kind of blend in together too. Um, but this is the recommendation of not going to bed until you're sleepy. Otherwise, you're going to lie there and just lie there and lie there, trying to get to sleep. Um, I think folks have heard, don't use um, the, the bed for anything but sleep and sex. If you're not doing one of those two, you need to get out of the bed. Um, so if you have, um, I mean, you're going to have people that are going to say, well, you know, I read in bed and I read to get myself to sleep. Um, sometimes you really have to individualize things. I, for some people, what I'll do is I, I'll say, so I understand sleep does kind of help to, you know, bring your, um, bring you down a bit, getting out of bed and getting to a, a chair, you know, would be another alternative. And then whenever you're really getting a bit more sleepy, then hopping in the bed. Um, the recommendation is to, if you're not able to fall asleep within 10 to 20 minutes, getting out of bed. Um, and if you're waking in the middle of the night um, for that period of time to get out of bed, um, and no more than 30 minutes. We, we know for, for older adults that, that this, you know, getting to sleep takes longer. So I don't usually tell people, if you're not falling asleep in 10 minutes, get out of bed. I mean, we know that it takes a bit longer, but, but definitely if, if folks are lying there 30 minutes or more, I, I do recommend getting out of bed. Um, getting up at the same time every morning. Um, and then um, talking about naps um, and maybe if naps are contributing to having the problem sleeping at night. Um, again, this is very individualized. Some people do need their nap. Um, they need that middle of the day um, time to get some restorative um, rest. Um, but maybe talking about how long is the middle of the day nap. Maybe you need to shorten it a little bit um, or, or you know, maybe doing a period of time of trying not to nap. Um, so this sleep restriction therapy is one where it does really you know, try to, uh, the theory of not napping during the day so you would be more sleepy at night. So um, one of the main things is you know, reducing the time in bed, um, limiting distressing experiences that um, perpetuate insomnia. So if your patient is talking to their daughter that's having all kinds of family problems and then they get all stirred up about it and worried about their family, um, suggesting that they should maybe reserve those conversations for earlier in the day. Um, I told folks too, if because um, there are some people who will say, well, I'm just thinking about all of these different things um, um, at night is before they go to bed is making a list of those things that they are worried about and that they need to do. You've got the list, set it aside, and then you're trying to then leave that behind that you'll take care of that the next day. So the theory in the sleep restriction therapy um, is that um, sleep deprivation um, can lead to a more rapid sleep onset, deeper sleep, and more sustained sleep. Um, and part of this therapy, um, folks are um, uh, requested to do a, a two-week sleep log um, and um, determine the hours of sleep um, that you're wanting to, to get. So, so no less than five hours. Um, but setting setting a, a goal of the hours that you're wanting to get. Um, making that time of when you're wanting to get up and do that time every day. Um, and then they, they recommend in this um, therapy to not nap. Um, and so in this, after you do your um, log, then uh, looking over the, the data, if the sleep is occupying about 90% of the time in bed, um, then you actually can increase your time in bed a little bit longer. So if you're actually sleeping that long, your body needs to sleep and you're getting that, so it's okay to stay in bed a little bit longer. Um, now, if you're sleeping less than 85% um, than of the um, time in bed, they actually tell you to decrease your time in bed because we're not wanting people to stay in bed and not be sleeping. Um, but if the sleep time is... Um, occupying about 85 to 90 percent um, of the time in bed, then you kind of continue the same routine. Um, 
so there's this calculation um, to uh, to uh, calculate the sleep time, your time in bed, um, to figure out the percentage. And, um, and typically this is, is done over a, a couple month um, duration. Um, another technique is um, progressive muscle relaxation. It was um, developed in um, the um, 1920s. So this is a theory of um, that muscle tension um, uh, causes anxiety, which contributes to, to sleep problems. Um, and this is, um, let's see, begin teaching the technique in the day or the evening. So, so you can do this, you know, really in the day, um, but also in the evening. And um, explaining to the intense each muscle group um, for about 10 seconds and then relax for the same period of time. Starting, you know, a lot of times these techniques are starting at the top and then working your way down. Um, and then once someone is proficient at doing this technique, um, it, the, the theory is that it can help to um, release some of the tension at bedtime and allow for easier onset of sleep. Um, so there was actually a study looking into this um, that found it caused um, some sleep to be worse. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, someone's worse, if not physiological tense in the beginning. So, um, so again, it's it's really um, trying some different techniques, coming up, you know, what's going to work for that particular individual. Um, cognitive therapy. Um, there actually, there's someone um, that does the cognitive therapy for sleep here um, at Dartmouth Hitchcock, and um, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on her name now, um, but she is through um, through the um, the psychiatry department. Um, so, so the goal in um, the cognitive therapy for sleep um, is targeting um, some of the unrealistic. Um, and maladaptive, maladaptive beliefs that people have. Um, there are some people who, you know, they've heard I'm supposed to get eight hours of sleep a night. That's what's recommended. Um, and, and sometimes that's just, it's just not necessarily a, a realistic goal. Sure, that would be ideal and great, but it's, it's, it may not be something that can be achieved. So it's coming up with something that is realistic. Um, so um, identifying some irrational beliefs. So um, transient sleep difficulties is a chronic problem. So I think people can get very anxious about um, when they're having sleep problems um, and kind of bringing them back to reality that this could be um, just a temporary type of problem, not necessarily something long-term. Um, although it is long-term for some people, lifelong for some people. Um, belief that most um, daytime problems is related to poor sleep. Um, so that's not, not necessarily um, uh, the case. Um, unrealistic expectations of the sleep needs. Um, the anxiety, overgeneralization, rumination, magnification. Oh, I can't sleep. You know, I'm never going to be able to sleep. And, um, and then people just get very focused um, on the problem and um, the anxiety. Um, so biofeedback is um, something that's relatively new. Um, and um, this was started back in the 1980s um, in helping in the aid of sleep. Um, it is um, costly. Um, it takes a bit of training on how to use the equipment. Um, it does use um, uh, an EMG uh, machine. Um, so it's um, putting these electrodes on, on the forehead. Um, and it's monitoring um, temperature. Um, and then your motor rhythm um, while you're getting to sleep and while you're asleep. So it's um, use of some um, guided imagery like relaxation, um, uh, you know, the deep breathing and relaxation techniques, um, and then looking at the, the, the data that comes, comes from that, from the biofeedback uh, machine, and seeing what, what's working. So sleep hygiene. This is really, I think, what we what we talk more about with our patients is, is the sleep hygiene. Um, so it, again, blends in with some of the other techniques of having more consistent um, uh, times of when you go to bed and when you wake up, um, limiting the time in the bed, decreasing the naps, um, removing the clock from the bedroom, because sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night, um, you keep looking at the clock, looking at the clock, and you think, oh, I'm not getting to sleep. I'm not getting to sleep. What am I going to do? Um, so actually um, getting it out of the bedroom. 
or to where you can't see it. Um, avoiding caffeine. Um, so the half-life of caffeine is about four and a half, five hours, and uh, actually uh, maybe even a little bit longer in older adults. So really you know, recommending not drinking caffeine after lunchtime or maybe even earlier, um, uh, like breakfast, uh, you know, having the coffee for breakfast and none after that, um, or eliminating it altogether. Um, and then avoiding, avoiding alcohol because of it causing the, the uh, middle-of-the-night awakenings. Um, and then circadian rhythm disorder. Um, so, so this this is really a little bit different than just you know, your your basic insomnia. This has you know a bit more of of, of biology um, that's going on. Um, and the um, the main features of this is is when is the sleep and the wake up pattern. Um, so there's there's two two com components to this. Um, there is the the delayed sleep um, phase syndrome. So this is Difficulty falling asleep um, and waking up, difficulty falling asleep and difficulty waking up in the morning. Um, this is not quite um, as common in older adults. Um, it can happen, but it's it's a bit more the the other um, the other uh, syndrome, the advanced sleep phase syndrome. So going to sleep early and then waking up early. Um, so you may see the um, the delayed phase um, sleep phase syndrome a bit more in, in younger younger folks, but you see it you can see it in older people too. Um, so some treatments um, that can be used uh, for for these different um, circadian rhythm is um, the delayed sleep um, phase syndrome is um, using the bright light light therapy, which we'll talk a little bit more in the next slide. Um, melatonin can also be used in this, um, and then customizing an individual um, schedule for sleep. Um, and then the um, advanced sleep phase syndrome, also light therapy um, can be helpful um, in making a, an individual sleep schedule. And then melatonin is not um, found to be quite as um, effective um, in, in this type, um, which is the advanced sleep syndrome is the one that is more common with um, older adults, and we do recommend melatonin. I mean, a lot, the, a lot of times if people are having trouble sleeping, we've tried some of the behavioral things. Um, I've, I have suggested to people before then prescribing um, a prescription medicine, um, trying some melatonin, and I have had some, some people find that it, it, it's helpful, so, um, uh, but, but not everybody. Um, so the basics of the light therapy is um, that you're wanting to basically push push back um, or delay um, the effects of the um, the shift in the circadian rhythms, um, uh, or uh, so like delay it or advance it. Um, this can be measured by the um, body temperature and plasma melatonin levels. Is it something that we're necessarily doing in primary care? Not so much, but they may do this actually like in sleep centers, um, a more thorough evaluation of um, these sort of levels. Um, so for, um, to administer bright light before the nadir of, um, of core body temperature can help to delay the, um, so this can be a little confusing, delay the um, effect, so fall asleep later and wake up later. So for, for folks that are, um, like our older adults that go to bed early and they're waking up really early, if you use the bright light actually um, in the evening time to help push back when they're going to sleep and have that bright light can help them to then maybe wake up a little bit later. So for folks who are waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning and want to wake up a little bit later in the morning, this would be a technique. And then it's the flip um, for other people. So people who are um, going to bed really late um, and then waking up late and they're not really wanting to wake up late using that light th therapy early in the morning. And so, so actually using the alarm, get yourself up earlier and use the, the light therapy for about an hour. Um, so I'm gonna do just a brief case study um, and, um, and then we'll have some time for some questions. Um, so, so Mr. I Can't Sleep, 83 year old gentleman, um, he's widowed. And he's, uh, he's a veteran, lives alone in his old Vermont house in Tunbridge, Vermont. Mm -hmm. He has two llamas that he still takes care of. 
and um, comes to see you for some sleeping problems. He has a past medical history, some high blood pressure, um, some heart failure, but he's not had any recent exacerbations of his heart failure. Um, he has an enlarged prostate, so he has some BPH and um, some depression too. So he reports he's been having some trouble um, getting to sleep, um, and he's waking up in the middle of the night um, two or three times. He's a friend, takes the medicine for sleep. Don't you love that? Everybody's got a friend that takes his medicine that you want to try. Um, he reports that it made a world of a difference for him, and so he wants to try it, and he thinks it begins with the letter A. <laughs> so this is the medicines that he takes. So he's on some hydrochlorothiazide, 25, once a day, some Flomax, 0.4, once a day, uh, Lasix, 40 a day, uh, Lysinopril, 10, and then Wilbutrin, 150 twice a day. So you want to get a little bit more history. So what, what other things would you want to ask this gentleman, potentially, um, to get a little bit more data about his, his difficulty sleeping? When are you taking your water pills? Exactly, exactly. So. How late are you taking the Wellbutrin? Exactly. So, so, so one of the things she, um, someone said was, how late are you taking the Wellbutrin? Um, so, so why? So why would you ask that? It does. It does. It does. So, um, so Wellbutrin can be a bit stimulating and. Um, so there are some formulations that you do prescribe twice a day, um, but there is a long-acting one that you can do once a day. Um, and so if, if someone is stable in a dose, it may be better than to switch to than the long-acting that is, um, is, is done in the morning <clears throat> because Wellbutrin can be more stimulating. So, so good pickup. Um, any, other, any other things um, that you would maybe ask about the medicine or, or what other things would you ask just to assess his sleep? What wakes him up? What wakes him up? Right. Exactly. Is, it, is he waking up to go to the bathroom, and do we need to do a better job with his BPH? Right. Right. Yeah. So is yeah is he getting up to, to urinate? Um, and um, do we need to manage his large prostate more? Anything else? What's his exercise routine? Exercise routine. Exactly. That's good. Anybody have any thoughts or um, anything they want to mention from um, uh, other sites? And unmute um, if you if you want to unmute the uh, microphone. Okay. Perhaps. That's okay. Yeah. What else have yeah. they tried? Have they tried like melatonin? Have right. They tried, you know, stay away from caffeine. Yeah. What have they tried? Exactly. What have they tried? What have they tried? So are they drinking caffeine? Have they taken melatonin? Any other over counters? Um, okay. Do we have all of his medicines listed there? Yeah, do we have another thing from um, one of our sites? Southwestern Vermont Healthcare said alcohol. Alcohol, so I hear the alcohol. So what else? Oh, okay, okay, good. Um, okay, so what, what magic medicine could he be asking about? So what do, you, what do folks think it is? Maybe it's Ambien. Maybe it's out of van. Yeah, maybe it's out of van. Could be one of those those magic things. So what what concerns you about either either one of those medicines? Increased risk of falls. Increased falls. Delirium. Delirium. Leading to that cascade of other problems, fractures. More than five meds. More than five meds. Good. Um, so you would maybe you know tell him that you know you have concerns about about you know trying this as a as a first um, a first line agent um, that we should talk a little bit more about the problems with the sleep and um, if his depression is is under you know reasonable control as well um, maybe his medicine is maybe it's not the best choice for him maybe you know, switching to a different medicine um, would also be helpful. Um, what other things about his medical history um, in, in medicine that maybe you would want to think about? Um, so, you know, one thing that was mentioned was the um, uh, the enlarged prostate, so the BPH um, in the Flomax. Um, so, do you need to adjust the medicine 
So one thing about that, if um, so the flow max, you could increase the flow max more, but then what do we worry about if you increase flow max? Hypotension. Yeah, so the blood pressure may drop, which then that in and of itself may cause him to fall. Um, so we have to really kind of balance, you know, the benefit versus the risk. Um, and then how late is he drinking even water, you know, if he were to maybe drink his fluids a little earlier in the day. So, so what's that again? Breathing? Yes, yes, exactly. Right, right. So, um, so is he breathing well with the CHF? Um, is he, um, how many pillows is he using? Um, does he need to use more pillows? Um, is, you know, is he gaining weight and maybe having a little bit more um, heart failure? We need to maybe tweak his diuretics a little bit and get a little bit more fluid off so we can breathe better because maybe he is waking up feeling short of breath. So oxygen, yeah, so yeah, maybe checking oxygen level while he's sleeping. Um, so maybe he could have um, some undiagnosed sleep apnea. Um, so, so what would be um, what would be some of the first step in, in recommendations um, that you would you would um, suggest that he do? Self study for two weeks. Self study. I think that's a great idea. Get more more data, more data. So, <clears throat> when is he going to sleep? When is he waking up? How many times is he waking up? What's waking him up? Um, uh, you know, is he feeling anxious? What's on his mind? Um, so really writing down, um, writing down all of these things. Is he in pain? Um, let's see. As, your, as the, his primary nurse, um, how can you make him a plan for sleep pattern? So then, you know, doing the sleep log, <clears throat> um, and then any other recommendations or thoughts? Yeah, just setting a time for sleep and waking up. Um, if this doesn't work, uh, what, um, how else uh, can you help him in making a plan moving forward? Um, so, you know, seeing, seeing his provider, if you've you know, um, done, um, done a lot of the, the non-pharmacological trials, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal, um, uh, but we do sometimes use uh, these medicines at a very low dose, short period of time. Um, and really on a very, you know, as needed basis if possible. So if you're going to start one of these medicines, what's the, um, what's the saying that we use when we initially prescribe a medicine? Start low, go slow. Um, there's also other medicines that, I mean, if anxiety is the issue, there's right. trazodones, there's, yeah. you know, yeah, there's a lot of other things that aren't, that don't necessarily have the same degree. Exactly, that's right, so that's right. You don't have to jump to the hypnotics. To the hypnotics, and yeah. The and the trazodone is, you know, one of the ones, it's, um, you know, in the antidepressant category, but we really don't use it as an antidepressant because it doesn't do much for that, but can help with sleep um, and sometimes a little bit of anxiety. Um, and, and agitation, and it does have less side effects. Um, but again, it can be sedating, um, hence why you'd use it for sleep. <laughs> so um, so these are just some um, resources um, that I included that has some information um, on sleep for providers, and then also some information um, that you can um, give to patients um, that they can look up online if they're internet savvy, which more and more of our um, of our older patients are becoming savvy and they're emailing me. My 90-year-old patients are emailing me they can't sleep at 2 in the morning. I've seriously gotten that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then this is just a list of, of references from the talk You're today. You're just laying there wait, waiting for them to do that. I know, yeah. just waiting, waiting to, to answer them right away. Yeah. So, so anyways, um, so I um, wanted to open it up to any, any questions or comments that folks have. Um, uh, related to this topic. I do appreciate folks coming out. Um, so I have a, a question. So these are sort of the run on the mill ones, but yeah. we also have those people who for 30 or 40 years have right. taken like Valium. Yes. Every single night oh. cannot get rid of their Valium. And yes. They love their Valium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how, how do we help counsel those people to rethink that? Such a good point. Because there are people, and the Valium is just, it's, long-acting, hangs out in the system, and it's, 
It's saying you're you're not you're not the same age as you were whenever you know we were you know this was first prescribed for you, um, and we know more now about these medicines and the, the risk of these medicines. And I know you've been on it for a long time, but your body is not able to clear it quite as well. Um, given the, the, the data that we know about um, the increased um, motor vehicle accidents and slowed reaction time, um, because, you know, of course, you know, we don't want folks having an accident, hurting themselves or others, um, that, you know, studies have found the risk of these medicines and that we have more options now. So we're, we're becoming more educated on the risk of these and we want to try to taper you off this. Um, and then try a trial of something different. Um, and again, it's you know kind of figuring out what is what is the the thing that's causing the sleep problem. But but they've they've developed a dependence. They've been on it for 30 years. They develop a dependence on this medicine. So it's it's going to be rough. It's you have to warn them up front. It's going to be rough getting off of it. But in the long run, it's going to be better for you. I think yeah. there's also people that don't want to do the two-week sleep log, they just want a pill, and they just right. want to go to sleep. Yep. And so you're going to find people that aren't going to be willing to do the work to do it non-pharmacologically. Right, yeah, you will, you will. Um, but it, and then it's it's just the trying to hold the ground as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. But, and it is work. It is work to do a log, but but it really can help to, to get the root of the problem versus throwing a medicine at it. So, um, any other thoughts or questions? Melatonin. Melatonin. Uh -huh. uh, when they first prescribed it, it was like at one milligram. Wasn't there a study that a half a milligram was sufficient more was going the other way? Was keeping people awake? I'm not sure about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, that the lower dose was having kind of a paradoxical effect in causing. Um, causing people to be awake. I'm not sure. Yeah, there might be a study out there about that. Um, in terms of when I do um, when I do recommend melatonin, I do typically start at three milligrams um, and may move up. I mean, I, I have had someone on about nine milligrams or 10 milligrams before. But typically, I think, I mean, when you're taking that amount, um, I've not really found it to be that beneficial. But, but if someone is taking that much and they're tolerating it okay and it's helping, but yeah. And um, anybody else? Okay, well, thank you so much for tuning in for our talk today um, and everybody coming here. I appreciate your time and, and interaction. So come back for more whenever we have more. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.